Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Good morning, everybody. It is an honour and a privilege to be with you, to be joining you, and uh, so excited that we could be together on this long weekend. Happy long weekend. I hope that whatever you're doing, you are enjoying it, uh, whether you're just chillaxing at home or whether you're camping and watching this in a tent somewhere or whatever you're doing, bless you. So glad to be joining with you today. Well, we're continuing with the book of Mark and uh, I just want to show you some ways that you can do this. I think if this COVID season has taught us anything, it is that if we're reliant on coming here to get our spiritual food, the building that I'm in, then uh, we've shown ourselves to be a little bit um, behind the eight ball there and we need to reorientate ourselves around feeding ourselves spiritually. And so that's what a spiritual growth campaign is all about. That's what's, what reading through a book is all about, is to help us know how to get out of the Word of God for ourselves and not just rely on a preacher or a speaker to do that for us. So we've had a variety of ways. Um, I'll just show you one of them. Don't look, I'm about to put in my pin code. Kesha Riley, I know you'll hack this if you see it. Uh, so if you go to our app um, here, uh, I don't know if you can see that. But don't look at my other apps because they're boring. But here is the Northwest Church AU app. We're still working on the name change. If you click on there, you'll see the locations of our various uh, churches. But also, um, here is the podcast button where you can get all the podcasts from the Mark messages. You can do the deep dives if that helps you. Also on here is uh, if you click the video button, you've got all the daily contemplative prayers and you've got the midweek studies there as well. The other thing that you've got, if you click these little three lines, and uh, I think if you go to blog down the bottom, then you've got the daily devotional content. So we have made it as easy as we possibly can for you to engage with the book of Mark. We have tried everything we can so to say, look, here it all is. Now it's up to you. And I think that that is what Jesus does for us, doesn't he? He, he went to the very ends of the earth for us and said, now it's up to you as to whether you accept that or not. And he continues to do that in drawing us today. So today we're looking at the question of who is the greatest. You see these weekly um, messages that we have on a Sunday, they're standalone messages, they're topical messages. Uh, so you don't need to know the prequel to see the sequel or anything like that. They're standalone and they're in order to just equip you, but they're taken from the readings for the coming week. And the question that we're going to examine this morning is who is the greatest? And this is humanity's great question you might say, well, I never asked that question, Bron, but I think we all do in our own way. If you sit down at the dinner table, you probably have a place and you, or you give a place um, if you have visitors according to how much you think you should honour that person or how much honour you think you deserve. When you walk into a room, you may uh, in fact go into that room and you see some people walk into the room and see the deference with which they're treated and you think, oh, that's obviously a great person. You might see someone sit in a certain spot. You might see someone uh, be a VIP or, or whatever it might be and you ask the question, who is the greatest? You might get onto a plane and you walk through uh, the first class. You walk through the business class. They make you walk through. And as Tim Hawkins says, they, they call for people. They're like, Qantas Frequent Flyers Gold Class, you may now board the plane. And Qantas Frequent Flyer Silver Class, you may now board the plane. Uh, Qantas Frequent Flyer Bronze Class, you may board the plane. All you other plebeians, 
with your chickens and your roosters, you can get on the plane now and don't make eye contact with first class or business class as you walk through. You just keep your eyes down and get to your seat and put your knees up around your chin and stay there until we decide whether or not we're going to serve you. We know who the important people are, but it's a question that has been going on for all time. And in fact, Daz asked me the question at the start of the Mark series and continued the conversation. He said, Bron, What's one of the main themes that you've seen in Mark and that you're hoping that people will get out of it? And the answer that I gave was that of cross-bearing discipleship. And that's not a phrase that we're familiar with. That's not a phrase that's commonly used, cross-bearing discipleship. And you might even say, Bron, you know what? Don't start with that. Like, don't lead with that. You just First of all, tell everybody that God's not mad at them, that God's for them. But God loves them, that he wants a relationship, not a religion. Just stay there for a little while before we head into cross-bearing discipleship. Like, make sure they've done some kind of class before you get there. But the fact is that Jesus was incredibly upfront about cross-bearing discipleship. He didn't beat around the bush. In fact, when Pastor Mike preached last week a powerful message, make sure you catch up on that, about who am I? Who do you say I am? And, and, and Peter gave him this answer. In fact, Jesus then goes on the very next statement to say, after he rebukes Peter for his arrogance in his answer, he goes on to say in the very next sentence, Mark chapter 8, verse 34, it says, And he called the crowd to him along with the disciples. There was no, there was no, let's keep this under wraps until people can see everything going on. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels." You know, I always use that last part of that passage as my negative motivation to make sure that I stayed strong in my Christian faith. As a teenager trying to follow Jesus, as a young adult trying to follow Jesus, I would use these words negatively in my life to say, Bron, if you're embarrassed of Jesus before people, he'll be embarrassed about you. He won't confess your name if you don't confess his name. And I tried to use that to stay resolute and stoic and not loosen my language to fit in with people. That was my negative motivation. But as I read these words in this context, I had this thought about the way that the modern Western church is. And the context of these words, if you're ashamed of me and my words, maybe the words that he just said, then how can I proclaim your name? How can I confess your name in front of my father? And in fact, he says, and I'm not trying to be judgmental at all because I don't want to be judged. And I know that we, that everyone I know that's in church has a fantastic heart, but I wonder with our modern Western church, we're the head, not the tail, we're above and not beneath. I wonder if Jesus sees our modern message as the one that he's preaching. He's saying, don't be ashamed of my words that say, no, it's about cross-bearing discipleship. It's not about you and your best life now. It's about you taking up your cross and following me. And if you're ashamed of those words because they're not attractional, then you've got to watch yourself. So let's pray this morning because I feel like we need it. So Heavenly Father, Lord, let your words ring true. Let your words ring forth and let everything else just be done and dusted. And Lord, I pray that something would go on in our hearts this morning 
Lord, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. Come and convict, Lord. Come and do whatever you need to do in order for us to be closer to you at the end of this message than when we were at the start in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you might say, well, Bron, like Jesus didn't start there. Like, like he went and provided that free food kitchen up on the hill with the, with the bread and the fish and, and, and he provided free health care for people. And, and you know, he, he even like showed his authority through the weather and stuff like that. So he led kind of a bit differently before he got to that cross-bearing discipleship message. But the fact is that his consistent, transparent message was always follow me and do what I do. So we, said, we saw that first instance where he told them that he was going to die. And then we get to the second instance in Matthew, um, sorry, Mark chapter 9, verse 30. It says, They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. So he's, he's actually left where he was because he's so intentional about teaching his disciples. This is not a by-the-by lesson on the fly. This is a, you need to hear what I've got to say and I, I, need to, I need to impart to you now. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Like, Sure, because the last time somebody asked about him, asked him about it was Peter, and he got called Satan. So they're like, okay, we don't understand what he's saying, but no one say anything because we just saw what happened with Pete. It wasn't pretty. So verse 33, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. I can just imagine this conversation. I just put myself there with the disciples. Jesus says, hey, what were you arguing about on the road? I heard you guys arguing. What was it? And uh, there's this conversation that they have because it's silent, but it goes, like, I, I want to reenact it for you this morning. And, and I've got some subtitles. I've taken the liberty of preparing some subtitles for you. So I imagine it went something like this, like that. That's how it went. And, uh, and so Jesus Sitting down, it says in verse 35, this is a posture of authority. This is a posture of a teacher. When a rabbi would teach, he would sit down. So this is a listen now. Listen, Linda. Listen. Listen to me. The sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. He takes the least of these, a little child. You know, children had a massive mortality rate in the ancient Near East. 60% didn't live beyond their teenage years. So you can imagine as a parent, the, allow, the level of attachment you would allow yourself to a child who you didn't know was even going to live. So many died in childbirth. There was um, justifiable infant inside, where, which you could leave your child if they had any kind of disability and you thought that they would not live a successful life. You could go and take them up and leave them on a hill for the elements and for wild animals to do what they needed to do in order to take naturally care of that child. People, if they didn't think that their child was going to bring success to them, they, they had every right. Children had no rights whatsoever, no right to live no right to anything. So they had nothing to offer. And Jesus places them in the middle and says, I want you to receive a little one like this, who has no benefit to you whatsoever, who brings nothing to your life. And in fact, in order for you to receive them, it costs you. And I want you to receive humanity, whoever you come across like one of these little children. And if you do, 
It's like you're receiving me and not even just me, but the one who sent me. He says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And it's not like this when I used to have church community lunches back in my hometown and, and someone would say, go, Bron. And I'd say, oh, no. Last shall be first and the first shall be last. Thinking, I'm going to put myself last on the community lunch line because then one day I'll get to be first in my life. Not like this self-seeking motivation that I do my time. No, no. Not self-interested, not self-serving. But take my blessing, whatever it is, and use it to serve other people. Use it to serve the least of these. And Jesus got so serious about this in Matthew chapter 25 when he's talking about the judgment, the judgment. He says that if you receive the least of these, you're receiving me. And then there's going to be people on that day who are like, like, oh, no, Jesus, like I had a healing ministry in your name. No, I had a deliverance ministry and, and I had a prophetic ministry in your name, Jesus. Like, remember, you know me, right? It's like, I don't even know you. Why? Because the attitude of your heart was not such that you received the least of these. It's however you treat the least of these is how I want to treat you. And it's taking our blessing and using it on behalf of others. It's taking our choice. It's making a choice. And then it's developing that choice into an intention that eventually becomes our character. But it all starts with a choice of taking my blessing and laying it down on behalf of other people. We've seen the first instance. We've seen the second instance. Now let's go to the last instance that Jesus predicts his death in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. It says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. The disciples were astonished and those who followed were afraid. Why? Because he's just given this teaching about receiving the little ones. And then, and then they saw someone else who is out about there, you know, doing things in Jesus' name. And they said, Jesus, we told him to stop because he's not one of us. And Jesus is like, stop it. Enough of this us and them business. We're in this together. And if they're not against us, you treat them as though they're for us. And then he, he brings the little ones again. And he, and he says that if anyone causes any of these little ones or, or lesser ones or anything like that to stumble, then the heaviest judgment will come upon them. And then he talks about people who are divorced and says, if they're left without rights, that's not okay. And, and he teaches them about divorce and teaches them how to take care even of those who are divorced. And then a great one comes, a rich young ruler who keeps Torah. And Jesus says, you can't inherit the kingdom of heaven because your heart attitude is not where it needs to be. Your heart is divided and says that you need to be for me in and totally and completely. That's who you need to be. And so they've had this teaching which completely flips everything. For them, the rich young ruler who kept Torah was in and, 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 and the little ones have no rights and they're unimportant and you keep them away from Jesus and, and everything's been flipped on its head. So the disciples are astonished and those who are following are like, what's going on here? There's a tension in the air. And then they're on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, verse 32. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what is, was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He's getting very specific now. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over the Gentile, to the Gentiles, that's the Roman soldiers, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. 
Let's just listen to what happens next. Verse 35 of chapter 10. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And it says... In verse 41, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They became indignant with James and John, surely, right? Because, because like, guys, Jesus has just told us he's going to die again. And, and that's your response, guys. We are indignant with you. But no, that's not the case. That's not the, the way or the consistency of the way that disciples have acted in, in the first instance when Jesus predicted his death. Peter's like, no, no, Jesus, you're ushering in the new Jew- Jewish empire. You are the messianic king that has come to conquer. No, no, Jesus, no, you're not going to die. Don't speak death, Jesus, speak life. Come on, we're going to go there. We're going to take that hill. We're going to usher in this new kingdom that you've been talking about and it's going to be awesome. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind, but the things of man. You're thinking in terms of kingdom. You're thinking in terms of authority. You're thinking in terms of greatness. I'm telling you that without suffering, this is not possible, Peter. Peter, unless you get that you have to lay down your life, you get nothing. And so then the next time he predicts his death again and the disciples begin to argue about who is the greatest on the road. And, and so this is just being consistent with that happening again. James and John come to him and say, well, can we, can we uh, be in the positions of authority, Jesus? Like when you um, come in your glory, like when, when it all happens and you're ushering the new Jewish empire, do we get to be right and left? Like, can we be a henchman, please? Like, do we get a uniform, please? And they want to be like the, the kingpins there. And Jesus says, well, can you drink the drink that I'm going to drink. And we know that in the garden, Jesus went to the Father and said, "Jesus, uh, God, Father, please, if possible, take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he's saying, are you going to be able to drink that kind of cup? James and John, they're like, he didn't lay it out and specifically like, yeah, yeah, we can drink it. We can drink it. And he's like, you're going to be able to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. And like, yeah, we can do it. We can do it. We've got this. And Jesus says, well, you will eventually. And in hindsight, we can see that the moment of Jesus' glory is when he's lifted up from the earth with his arms spread wide and beaten to a pulp and laying down his life for all of humanity. And he says, the spots on my right and the spots on my left, they're assigned to two criminals and I can't give them to you. They've already been assigned because I'm going to be raised up with two criminals on the cross. That is the point of my glory is that where you want to go? Is that where you want to follow? And they didn't have a clue what, they were, what he was talking about. And then the disciples are angry because they got the jump on, on them and asked Jesus first, well, do we get to be great? Do we get to be the kingpins? 
What Jesus is talking about is a revolution of kindness. Let's continue to read. Jesus called them together and said, you know, and this is the same again, right? It's the, it's the prediction of the death. It's the complete misunderstanding and misinterpretation of what he's saying. And then a corrective teaching happens each time. And here it is again. It says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Every elevation that we're given is to compel us to greater depths of service. Every promotion that we're given is a stewardship of servanthood. The mark of maturity is the ability for us to minister to the needs of others. And what, what we misread into it is do your time. It's not do your time. It's you never graduate from being the servant of all. You never graduate from it. You want to, you want to. You want to get to that point where, well, I used to do that and I don't have to do it. I used to do kids' church. I don't have to do that anymore. No, we are always the servant of all. And in fact, God says, me, myself, I came into the earth and entered into your suffering And I laid down my life for you. You want to know what it looks like? That's what it looks like. And I feel like we catch glimpses of it. We catch glimpses of it in our own heart. We catch glimpses of it in the world around us with people like Mother Teresa and and various others. We see it and we catch glimpses of it. And then it's like, well, well, I want to communicate and I want to be passionate about it. And I'll hold up a placard and I'll declare it from the rooftops. But the moment I have to lay down my rights, that's when I start to get concerned. And I've got an example of this in my son. Lockie, apparently, uh, he feels this as well and did when he was little. We were in the kitchen and everyone was just being a bit mean to each other. So Daz dealt with things the way that he knows how to deal with things and asked Lockie to preach a message to the girls on how to not be so negative. So we're going to show that this morning. Okay, everyone, look up to God. We are never mean. We are always nice. Never call someone meanie or moonie. We are always nice, like God is. He is amazing. Get off. He is amazing. He loves us, and I love him. We should love each other, not all together. He's the only way for you every day. Okay, now let's go and celebrate. I don't know if you caught it. But what Lockie said was, we never call each other mean or moonu because when we said you're not allowed to call each other mean, then they would call each other moonu. And, and, but what happens next is that his little sister tries to get up on the platform with him and he's like, we never call people mean or moonu. Get off! And, and continues on. It's like, like, I'll proclaim it from the rooftops, but the moment I have to give up my rights and that's when it's over and it's done. And, and, and we as adults, we look at that and laugh, what a cutie, but that is a reflection, I think, of our own hearts. We will lay our lives down. We will preach about it. We'll talk about it. We'll protest about it to the point that it affects my lifestyle. And then, hey, 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 Jesus desires better for us. And so I'm just going to give you three quick points as we close this morning. And, and we're about to come around communion, which is the perfect example of this. And number one is it's not about political. It's about biblical. It's not about political, it's about biblical. It's way easier to start with political than it is with biblical because biblical goes to a heart posture rather than a stated position. It's not political, it's biblical. 
And biblical says you love when it hurts. Biblical says forgive when everyone tells you that you can't. When political says everyone else is an enemy. Biblical says who is your neighbour and go about being that neighbour to every single person you can find. And you want to know what that looks like? Jesus said, well, follow me all the way to the cross. That's what being a neighbour to other people looks like. It's not about political. It's about being biblical. And if we look at people and say, oh, they're just getting political about that, well, just ensure before you make that judgment that you are being biblical in your heart as it relates to how you treat other people. We need to be biblical. Biblical is harder. Biblical leaves the lights on and the doors wide open when everybody else would slam them shut and turn the lights off and draw the drawbridge up. Biblical says, come in, when everything else says, keep out and stay away. And that is what is required of us in cross-bearing discipleship. Number two, let's get physical. Not like Olivia Newton-John and leotards and leg warmers, but let's get physical. Let's let it look like something. We can't just state it. We can't just say that this is how we are. We need, it needs to look like something and it looks like 360 degree honour. It doesn't look like just honouring the big wigs and forgetting about the little children. It says we take a little child and we say, I will treat you like a king. If a king walked into the room today, that is how I am treating you. This is 360 degree honour. I will sit next to a person who is smellier than me. I will sit next to a person who is richer than me and I will treat them the same. I will treat them with love and I will lay down my life for each of them. It looks like something. The little ones, the divorced ones, the children, and, and, and someone who keeps Torah and someone who doesn't. It's not about what they're doing. It's about who we are. And I wonder, as it relates to let's get physical, what we've actually said yes to. When we've prayed the prayer to follow Jesus, did you pray because you wanted peace with you and God? Well, that's great because that's what you get. Did you pray because you wanted a promise for eternal life? Because That's what you get when you receive Jesus. Anyone who believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Did you pray for the power to live out this Christian life? Because that's what you get. And it's not just avoiding sin. Avoiding sin for the Christian life is way too small for what God wants for us. God wants us to live these lives that lay down our life on behalf of others that say, are you different to me? You are my brother. You are my sister. Do you have less rights than me? Then let me use my rights to empower you and to lift you up. To just avoid sin in this Christian life is way too small. He's given us power for something beyond that, the power that he's given us. And finally, forget authority. Jesus said, you know that the Gentile rulers lord it over with authority. Forget authority and choose civility. I struggled with this word for so long. I was on powerthesaurus.org for ages trying to look for another word other than civility because we don't use this word. And there was only word that I could find that really described what I was talking about, a life of service, civility. We never graduate from it. What does a life of civility look like rather than choosing authority? With your siblings, if you're a teenager at home, rather than constantly trying to promote your rights and, and always think about yourself, it's, it's watching out for the rights of your siblings and ensuring that you're lifting them up. If you're in the workplace, it's not hanging on to information because that gives you power, that knowledge gives you power. It's empowering everyone around you, giving them all the information, even if that means that they might be elevated above you. You're saying, no, I don't choose authority. I don't choose to lord it over. I choose civility. Now, even for me in the church, it's not about going to a conference and seeing who gets the best seat up the front. That's, that should not be. By the way, Here at our church, we have to pay people to sit in the front. That should not be either. But choose civility. 
comparing size of congregations, comparing size of houses, comparing size of cars, comparing whatever. That is not what we're meant to do. We're meant to choose to serve each other in love. Whatever authority we have is to be used for civility, not to be lorded over. And so this morning I want to do something that I've only ever done once before, years and years ago. Because as I look around this world, this that Jesus preached is needed as much as it ever was. The divide that we see in Jesus' time that he came to break down that divide has not gone away. People are still drawing lines of who's in and who's out. People are still making judgments on what's right and what's wrong in terms of rights and and beliefs and all that kind of thing. And in order to address this question of who is the greatest, it's not a Sunday school question. Who's the greatest? Jesus. Here, have a Fredo frog. That's not it. It's a laying down of our question of who is the greatest and saying, Lord, I just want to serve, not because I want to be great, but just because I want to be like you. And so as I see everything going on in the world and as I declare things to myself, well, I'm not this and I'm not that, I say, Jesus, there is a need in me to want to know who's the greatest, to want to rank things, to want to understand things. And so I see the need for repentance in my own life. And I can't demand repentance of a people group and I can't demand repentance of ch- and change of whatever without first saying, Holy Spirit, come and invade my life. So I wonder if wherever you are this morning, wherever you are, if you would kneel, not in solidarity to anything else like people are, but as a recognition of your own heart being flawed before the Lord and saying, Lord, have your way in me. So I'm going to kneel this morning and I'd invite you to kneel with me. And if you're like, I don't want to do that in front of my family, Bron, I don't want to do that in front of my friends that I'm with. If you won't do it in here, you'll never do it out there in your heart attitude. So let, let the Holy Spirit convict you and challenge you and let's kneel together this morning. And let's humble ourselves before the Lord. And Lord, we say, search us. Know our inward parts, Lord. Holy Spirit, give us clean hands and pure hearts. Lord, we repent of every attitude, every authoritarian thought, every greatest thought. And we humbly submit ourselves to you And declare that though we are whole in you, we are broken in our flesh and we need you. And we say, Lord, whatever brokenness is in the world, will you start with us? Start with us. We submit ourselves and humble ourselves before you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I just ask that just stay here with your eyes closed and your knee bowed to the Lord. And just don't open your eyes until you hear Daz's voice as he brings us around communion. Let's just spend a moment in quiet before our God. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. 
There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.